Whoop, whoop. How are you guys doing today? Larry Shannon was just giving me the worst grimace I've ever seen. And that means something coming from Larry Shannon. I mean, I've seen some grimaces come my way. But that was something. You were like a cow staring at a new gate. No idea what that means, but I think you do. I'm glad you're here this morning. You guys ready to have a good time? Okay, cool. Is anybody else ready to have a good time? All right. How many of you had a long week this week? Yeah. Yeah. I woke up at 2 this morning. Just this weird phrase on my mind. It was just, I thought, just the weirdest of phrases. And then as we began to sing that song, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I thought, that's for somebody in here. And it was this. I'm so glad that you're free. But that freedom needs to be defended. It needs to be defended against the lies of the enemy. You defend it with truth. It's truth that sets you free. So this morning, whoever that's for, man, I just hope that's something that you hear deeply in your heart this morning. I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm having a good time, and I know that you are too, and I hope, um, I hope as we dive into Scripture that the Holy Spirit really speaks to you right where you're at this morning. I don't know if you've noticed, but we are fully in the holiday season. Whether you want to be or not, we are there. All you need to do is go to a store somewhere, and you'll figure it out pretty quick. We are in the holiday season, and I am one of those people that says Christmas does not start until Thanksgiving is over. Can I get an amen? Praise the Lord. This year, for the very first time, as far back as I can remember at least, and I say this with some trepidation and maybe by way of repentance, (laughs) for the very first time, we set up our Christmas tree on Friday. I deserve whatever shame. (laughs) And I totally understand if that's an impeachable defense, you know? Like, I deserve it. For years, I've stood against that. But a man can only stand against the rising tide for so long. So we set up our Christmas tree before Thanksgiving. What a shame. (laughs) Like a city with no walls. We're headed up for Thanksgiving up to Wisconsin. We're going to leave on Wednesday. 
Uh, we, this is a year of transition for us, I guess, in a bunch of ways. We're going to head up on Wednesday. We've, we, we, used, we used to go up every other year for Thanksgiving and then every other year for Christmas. And, and for us as a family, one of, if not the favorite um, service, it's one of up there is Christmas Eve service. And so we don't want to miss that. And so for us, we wanted to be here for that. And so uh, trying to make the trip after Christmas Eve service to go up on, and be there in time for Christmas Day, it was just too much. And so we were up over the summer for my brother's wedding, and we just let our family know, hey, from now on, we're going to be coming up on Thanksgiving. And so we're leaving on Wednesday. We'll drive. it. If it was me alone, I could make the trip in about eight hours. <laughs> but nobody told me when I got married that one thing you give up is good drive times. Okay, like, <laughs> the preacher didn't tell me that part. So, when I got married, it became nine hours. <laughs> Truth will set you free, honey. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> when we had kids, it became like ten and a half hours. Those bladders, man, <laughs> like they're this big. Anyways... And so we're going to make the trip on Wednesday, and then we're going to come back down, come really early on Saturday. So we'll be there for a couple days and get some time with the family. But we've already started preparing for the trip. You know, you, you, you start getting snacks, and you pack stuff up, because it's only a couple days away. I know some people were already heading out this week. They took the whole week off because of the fact that they had maybe a couple of days off. And so for us, um, we'll head up that Wednesday, and we've already gone, done some of the preparations like for me. One thing I hate about Illinois, there are many things I hate about Illinois, but one of the many things, besides the Chicago Bears, that I hate about Illinois, and this is just that kind of day, I'm sorry, is the tolls. I hate the tolls, right? Like, so, that got a good response. So you go up through, you hit 94, and you just start paying money. And I used to hate when you'd use change, and so we got an iPass, which is the digital thing you put in your windshield. We only use it once or twice a year when we go up to Wisconsin. And yet, it's normally right around St. Louis that we realize we didn't bring it with us. We're like, oh, man, again. And so uh, I put it in there. I was like, I'm not going to forget it this time. I put it in there ahead of time. I'm ready to go. Um, but we've started doing some of the other preparations, and that's really what I want to talk about today, is some of the preparations, even for Thanksgiving, because we're coming back Saturday in order to be back next Sunday for, we're going to kick off our series that leads up to Christmas, which we're calling With Joy, With Joy, and With Joy is really focused in Isaiah chapter 11, which is an incredible um, prophecy, chapter of prophecy about what you can expect with the coming of the Messiah, okay, written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, this prophecy of what would happen with the Messiah's coming, and uh, so we're going to kick into that series in a little bit, but even in preparation for that, as I was doing studying this week, and I was reading through this incredible passage of scripture, I was reading through it, and I came to a verse that just stopped me dead in my tracks, I don't know if that happens to you, but I read that one verse, that one sentence over and over 
and over again. And I stored up in my heart. And today I want to share it with you. Is that okay? Okay. So then if that's okay with you, grab your Bibles. If it's not okay with you, grab your Bibles. <laughs> Open it up to Isaiah chapter 12 today. Isaiah chapter 12. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are some that are spread out throughout the seats. Grab your phone. Open it up to praise.fyi. There you can tap on message notes. You'll find all of the verses that we're going to be reading today along with an opportunity to take some notes as well. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 12 today. Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 11 and chapter 12 were written during really a very dark time in the history of Israel. Um, a couple hundred years before that, the northern kingdom and southern, well, northern tribes split off from the southern tribes. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom now. And for multiple reasons, but a few reasons that I think I have a good handle on. The northern kingdom was always, always had more turmoil. It always had more struggles. It always had more political instability, religious instability. And I, I think the reason for that is the southern kingdom stayed with David and the line of David, right? So even for kingship, there's a really limited group of people who would qualify for that. But in the northern kingdom, they split off from David's descendants, and they said, we're going to do our own thing. And so then there's a wide open range of who gets to be king. And they don't have any kind of voting structure, so it pretty much comes down to who's the strongest. And so you see assassinations, and one dynasty replacing another dynasty, and all of these things happening, and there's a lot more instability in the northern kingdom. On top of that, the southern kingdom had Jerusalem, the capital city. And in that capital city, they had the temple, the place where the name of God dwelled. And so they had this religious center, this faith center in the southern kingdom. In the northern kingdom, and you can read all about it, they decided that it was politically expedient for them to develop their own faith. Because if people kept going down to Jerusalem for the place of worship, that the gravity of the nation would end up bringing them back together. So they were afraid. So they developed their own faith using elements of true worship of the true God and mixing in their own little stuff along with it. You can read all about it. But as a result, then, not only is it politically unstable, it's also religiously unstable. So the northern kingdom never really settles in, and there's all kinds of instability, and eventually the judgment from God comes faster on the northern kingdom than it does on the southern kingdom. And this is written right after the Assyrians, the power of the day, came through and obliterate the northern kingdom. Carry whoever's left off into exile. Some head off as refugees, go down into Judah and all the surrounding areas, even down into Egypt. So the northern kingdom's gone. And the Assyrians set their eyes on Judah, the southern kingdom. And Isaiah tells them, don't you worry, God's got this, and he will deliver you. And God does. Turns the Assyrians back. The southern kingdom survives, and Isaiah tells them, not so fast. Your day is coming too. Yes, you've been delivered in this, but Babylon is coming for you. 
So right after he does that, you find in this dark time where there's fear and trepidation, you find Isaiah chapter 11, which is a promise of the Messiah, which pours right into Isaiah chapter 12. And that's where we're going to start reading in verse 1. Here's what it says. You will say in that day. And that in that day there is talking about in the day of the Messiah, after the Messiah comes. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. So this is a great passage for the week of Thanksgiving. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Okay, that is an excellent verse to just let wash over you. I don't want to get too deep into it because that's, this verse and the next verse are probably going to be the Christmas Eve passage. So I don't want to get too deep, but I do want to just take a moment here and just let that wash over you to kind of set the stage for where we're going. Okay, just feel that. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Your anger turned away in order that you might comfort. Verse 2, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Yeah, amen is right. How awesome is that verse? For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. I love this verse, and I love that this is not the first time you find that saying. This is actually the third time that that comes up in Scripture. The first time that comes up is in uh, uh, Exodus chapter 15. Right after the people of God are delivered from Egypt, they come through the Red Sea, they, they uh, walk through on dry ground. They're being chased by the Egyptian army. They come through the waters. They turn back, and the waters close up on top of the Egyptian army. God supernaturally delivers them and saves them from destruction. And as they're looking back, they're on the shores of the Red Sea. They begin to sing to God, and they say, the horse and the rider have been cast into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and now he has become my salvation. It's the first time it shows up, right after a supernatural deliverance from God. Second time it shows up is in Psalm 118, which is actually a a, a song that they would sing then as they're traveling into Jerusalem. So this is after God has fulfilled his promise of bringing them into the promised land, and, and they're established enough that they have a capital city, and in that capital city they have a temple where the name of the Lord dwells, and as they're on approach, this is the song that they sing. The Lord is my strength, and he is my song, and now he has become my salvation. And here Isaiah says, oh, but you ain't even ha- seen a half of it. Because there will come a day When the Messiah will come, oh, and then he has become my salvation. And I personally find great joy in the fact that the literal translation is, and I don't think this is what was intended, but it's it's there, and I see it, and I personally find joy in the fact that it says, and he has become my Yeshua. He has become my Jesus. 
I find joy in that. Which is good, because that's exactly what I was thinking when I started reading the next verse. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. I read that, and I couldn't go any further. I read it again. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. I thought about that, and I chewed on that, and I meditated on that, and I thought about it some more, and I read it again. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And I look at that verse, and it's very clearly right in the middle of this chapter. It kind of sticks out even in my Bible. The couple of verses right before it and the couple of verses right after it are very poetic. And right in the middle of it, it's like the apex of the chapter. It's like the, the top. You climb up it on one side, you get to verse 3, and then you climb down the other side. It's this really beautiful thing where, at least in my Bible, it kind of sticks out different than what's behind it. And in fact, I believe it's kind of like the apex of the, all the way back to chapter 11, verse 1. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. I thought, what is that saying? And again, I just store it up in my heart, and I just want to share with you some of what I see in that. You will draw water. What's interesting is, as the Israelite people were facing the Red Sea, They sing this song of deliverance. God just supernaturally delivered them. They celebrate, sing the song. And then they turn around, and there's a desert. You got salt water here, and desert here. God just supernaturally delivered them. They just celebrated that, and now they turn around... And what do they cry out for? Water. The very first story in Exodus chapter 15, after their supernatural deliverance, is them crying out for, and then God supernaturally providing for them water. Guess what the second story is about? God supernaturally providing for them bread. Guess what the third story is about? God supernaturally providing for them water. The first three stories after this supernatural deliverance where they see salvation from from absolute destruction is God providing water, then God providing food, then God providing water again. It's like a water food sandwich. And why is it that the first three stories you get as they're delivered from Egypt are about God's provision of water, then food, then water again? Because you need water, right? revives you, it strengthens you, it provides life for you. And this is why you need to plan accordingly when you're going on a journey through the desert. For me, when we head up to Wisconsin, I know the gas stations that I stop at along the way. 
Every single time we stop at the same one. If you want to meet me there, I'll be there on Wednesday somewhere around 11 o'clock probably, depending. (laughs) It's called the Oasis. It's on mile marker 23, and you pass through St. Louis. You get on I-55 headed towards Chicago and When I think of Illinois, I think of a dry and weary land. (laughs) So it's appropriately named the Oasis. And I think they named it that for a reason. Because even if you don't think about it, like subconsciously you're thinking, oh. And we stop there every single time because I know right where the bathrooms are. I know right where the food places around there are. I know where I can get the healthiest and cheapest food in the area. I know how quickly I can get in and get gas and get on the way. I know all of those things about this place, and so I stop there every single time. But you know the preparations that I do in advance are we buy a big pack of water. We have bottles of water sitting right behind our chairs. That's so that when the kids cry out, Daddy, I'm thirsty, we can say, get a water. And then they get a water, and it's, Daddy, I need to go pee. Use the water bottle. It's a win-win, okay? So, (laughs) but we get that big pack of water just because of the fact that we don't know, I mean, it's a long ways in between here and there. It's 600 miles for us. Somewhere in there, I don't know, 530, somewhere. And uh, we don't know a lot of people in between here and there. If something goes wrong, we got water. Back in the day, they didn't have water bottles. And here's the thing. If you're making a journey through the desert, the biggest question is, where are you going to stop for water? So when Abram is leaving Ur and headed to the promised land, he doesn't go straight across the desert. He follows the river. When the people of Israel come back from Babylon, they follow the water supply. It's what they do. It's the most important thing. And so back then, where the journeys are not eight and a half to ten and a half hours, it's ten and a half weeks because you have kids instead of eight and a half weeks. And so you have to plan not just for the water you've got, but you need to make sure that there are stops along the way where you can get water. You go, You stop and get water, then you go and you stop and get water, and then you go and you stop and get water. That's pretty much the way things work. And that's why I think it says you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It's not a one-time gig. You don't stop one time at the beginning at the well of salvation, fill up, and you're ready to go. No. Wells of salvation. You come back again and again and again and again. But even the fact that it's the wells of salvation instead of like, I don't know, the river of salvation. Why use the illustration of a well? Because it could have been the river of salvation. That's in Revelation chapter 22. You get that image and metaphor there. Why why well? Why not cup of salvation? Cup of salvation you get in Psalm 116. Why not go that way instead of well of salvation? I think there's a couple of reasons why well is used 
Number one, it seems like it's like inexhaustible. You, you let down, you pull from it, and then you go back and you do it again, right? Like, and, and it doesn't run dry, or at least it doesn't seem to. It just seems to be inexhaustible. I think that's one of the reasons why it's wells of salvation that we're drawing water from, as it talks about here. I think the other reason is that there's something really unique about wells. I think there's something about wells in that you look around and you can't see the water, right? Like, if you go outside today and you look around, you won't see any standing water. But right now, under your feet, there's water, right? It's a ways. There's actually at least two directly under your feet. Number one, there's the Springfield Plateau Aquifer. It's a big old lake down there. Go down even further and you'll find the Great Ozarks Aquifer. Straight down there. Two massive lakes underground. And how do you get to them? Well, you build a well. And you can walk outside and you'll see just dry ground, right? But there's water down there. And I think there's something about that with the wells of salvation. And I didn't get this until I went back and I read chapter 11 of Isaiah into 12 again. It was the second time that I read through the whole thing that I went, ah, I see. Because here's the thing about Isaiah chapter 11. It is gorgeous, beautiful language. Promises of what it will be like when the Messiah comes. Rich language that almost seems over the top, right? Like you've got wolves lying down with lambs, and you've got oxes lying down with, with lions, and you've got children who are toddlers playing around in a, 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 a snake nest of, of, of poisonous snakes, okay? Now, we're not that kind of church. We don't release snakes into the preschool to see if they have enough faith. That's not what we do here. But, as I read this, you see some of these things now. Like, you see glimpses of these promises now. But it's not like you see it fully. Right? Like, in here there's promises about the reconciliation of all peoples. That all people will be reconciled one to each other. You see that kind of right now. But not in its entirety. There's promises here about the communion that we will have with God the Father and with one another. And you see a glimpse of that right now, but you don't see the whole thing. And, and there's promises in here about the fact that in him we will have a, a life everlasting. But we see that now, but there's still death. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's the already but not yet nature of the kingdom of God. Like, there's something about it where we see glimpses of what will be, but we don't see it all. So I read through that Isaiah 11, and I'm like, oh, I can, I can kind of see that, but I haven't seen it in its entirety yet. And I think that's like a well. Because I think you can see it, but you can't fully see it. You know it's there, 
But if you tap in, there is a deeper thing going on. And here's the problem. You will leave this place today. And all week long, you will be bombarded with the messaging. All you see, all you hear, all you taste, and all you touch is all there is. You'll hear that message over and over and over again. Can I say to you, there's water down there. The ground may be dry, and it may be weary, but there's water down there. So as you're journeying through a dry and weary land in some of our land, some of our lives, more dry and weary than others, as you're journeying through that, remember that there are glimpses. And if you stop at those glimpses, you'll find water. A well of salvation. I also love that it doesn't say you swim in the sea of salvation. I love that it's wells. Because it's not like you lose yourself in it. Like you pull up stakes and you're, you know, just fly away, oh glory. Like, it's not what it is. You don't disappear into imagination. You live in the here and the now, and God put us on the ground for a reason right where he put us. In our schools, in our work situations, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our friends groups. He put us right where we are, and we live there. We don't escape from it, but we live in the midst of it. But the difference is that we have let down our well into salvation. And we regularly draw on the reality that we find there in order to live here. That's why with joy you will draw from the water, from the wells of salvation. I love it. And you know what else I love? What comes right after it. Here's what it says, verse 4. And you will say, in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. You know what I love about that? I love what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, and you ought to say, you should say, you are obligated to say, give thanks to his name. It doesn't say that. It says, when you let down into the well of salvation and draw water from that, you will say. You want to know how you ought to pray or prepare for thanksgiving? Yeah, get the turkey ready. Get the stuffing ready. Make the mashed potatoes. Make that cranberry junk. <laughs> How many of you like the cranberry junk? You all ought to be ashamed of yourselves. I don't understand the cranberry junk. 
but feel free to make the cranberry junk. But between here and there, you know what you got? You got three days here to pull water from the wells of your salvation. You want to know a good place to start? This morning, in my personal daily readings was 1 Peter chapter 1. Oh, let down there. Pull from that well of salvation. Do it every single day leading up to Thanksgiving. And let me tell you, even if right now you are not feeling very thankful what will happen on Thanksgiving, you will give thanks. Draw from the well the waters of your salvation. That's how you prepare. Find the glimpses. What you don't see in reality yet, but you know is a promise to come. You draw from that. We're about halfway through our lobby remodel. Maybe more than halfway. We're probably two-thirds, three-quarters. I don't know. We still got furniture to come in, some additional painting to do. We've got graphics to put on the wall. We have signs to hang for directional. There's so much work to do in between here and there, but we're getting there. We're just moving through it. But this week, we put in some tables. And uh, um, I had someone come to me, what's with the big tables? And I, uh, I said, well, that's something that I've wanted to do for about two years now. I said, what's it about? And I said, well, I really want when people walk in the doors of praise assembly, even if it's subconscious, even if it's subtle, I want them to know I have been invited to come to the table. Because that is an image. That is very clearly a picture that is given us. And on this side of it, we will not experience it in an entirety. Because there will come a day when we will eat with the king. Okay? It's not here, it's not now. But you get glimpses of it when you sit around a table with believers. And so I want when people walk in that they hear the call, come to the table. Because for me, that is a well of salvation. Draw from it in order to live in the here and now, reminding yourself of the reality that is to come. I am so encouraged by the fact that this passage comes right in the darkest time in the history of the people of God. They are getting ready to come up on I mean, just complete destruction. Northern kingdom gone. Southern kingdom gone. And yet through that, Isaiah says, hold to this truth. There is a Messiah coming. And when he comes, he will bring with him this new kingdom. And for us, we've seen glimpses, but not reality in its entirety. Oh, but we can get tastes of it. And where you see those tastes, let down and pull water from that well of salvation. And pull from it again. And pull from it again. And pull from it expectantly. And pull to be refilled. This is what it's for. 
This is why we do what we do. I've said it before, the reason why we worship the way we do is because it's an invitation to worship in the kingdom of God. And the reason why we gather and feast on the word is it's an image of feasting on a deeper word. And the reason why we take communion is because of the fact that in communion we have a picture of that great feast that is to come. So today, I want to end by taking communion. So I'm going to invite our communion servers to go ahead and step out and get ready to serve us this morning. I think it's appropriate that we would end with communion because this is one of those things where we stop and we recognize, okay, it's just a little wafer and it's just a little juice. And I just talked about this. But in that, you see a deep reality of the kingdom of God and what is to come. And so let down here, pull water from this well today, because it is a picture of your salvation. Jesus himself said, I, I, I want you to do this in remembrance of me, but I'm also not going to eat it again until we eat it together in the realization of the kingdom of God. So it's a picture of what is to come. Just a picture, but it's a picture. I want to point out one thing while they're coming. And servers, just as soon as you're ready, just go ahead and begin to serve the congregation. Because even as they're preparing, I think it's important that we prepare our hearts as well. But I want you to look at something really quick here. I want to go back to verse 1. Here's what it says. You will say in that day. You want to know something really, really interesting? I hope you can multitask because I really want you to hear this. That you there and all the personal pronouns in verse 1 and verse 2 are all singular. You will say in that day. Thank you. All singular. You hit verse 3. All of the, sec the, the sudden, the the you becomes not singular, but plural. Okay? And that seems subtle, and it's not like it's a big deal, but it really, really is. Because in verse 4, the exact same phrase as in verse 1. You will say in that day, that you is again plural. So it's y'all. It's yins. Why is that important? Because verse 1 and verse 2 are about entering into salvation. Verse 3 and everything that follows is about celebrating that salvation. Here's the thing. We enter into salvation individually. If you have not individually come to Jesus Christ, recognizing the weight of your sin, recognizing the fact that you can do nothing against it, recognizing the fact that sin has you captive, if you have not individually come to Jesus Christ and said, my hope is only in you, I would question whether or not you ever came at all.
You come individually. No one else makes this decision for you. You enter salvation individually. But where you enter salvation individually, you celebrate salvation corporately. See, you and I, we come, we receive Jesus Christ alone. But when we're a part of the body of Christ, we are in this together. And there is nothing like celebrating and drawing from the wells of our salvation together. That's why communion is one of those things that is done as a corporate thing. We do this together. We partake together. Very specifically, together. And I do want to just really quickly mention, if you're not a part of praise, we don't believe in closed communion. If you're a part of the church, the kingdom of God, I would love for you to participate in this today. I do want to mention, though, really, really briefly, that um, if you've not received Jesus Christ as your Savior, with no condemnation, let me just ask that you would just pass on participating in this at this point. This is specifically for those who have said, my only hope is in Jesus Christ. He's my only salvation. His body broken for me, his blood spilled for me. That's all I got. And if that's you, and you have accepted that, then this communion is for you. And if you haven't accepted that, let me just really briefly say, just please pass on this for now. And keep coming. I want you to come. I want you to hear. And I, I will be praying with you that the Holy Spirit reveals these things to you. But this is very specifically for those who are a part of the church. And just putting all my cards on the table with everything inside of me, I want you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And this is a good time to do that now. If you're in here right now and you've never done that, this can be for you an act of faith that I receive Jesus Christ today. But for us, this is a picture of what will be. And it is, I hope for you, a well of salvation. Because it's, it's dim. It's just a glimpse. But there's going to be something so much better. So let down in that well today. Know Jesus Christ. His body was broken for you. His blood was spilled for you. And one day, he will eat with you. That's for all of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you do provide. You are not only the God who supernaturally delivered us, you are the God who daily provides for us. And for some of us, we may be going through a dark and dry and weary land right now. Maybe for some of us, we're not feeling very thankful at the moment. Oh God, bring us back to those wells of salvation. May we let down again into those waters. Because Father, I know 
that all that I see is not all that will be. Oh, there's a promise of something more. And I don't escape into that, but I draw from it to live right here and right now. So God, I pray that in this, you by your Holy Spirit would speak very deeply to us. Build our expectation. Help us to look forward to that day when you return and you bring us into your kingdom in its entirety, O oh God. I pray that that would be the case. May our heart yearn for that and long for that and thirst for that, O oh God. And in the meantime, build that thirst. Build that hunger, O oh God, through these little glimpses and these wells of salvation. Thank you for it. Praise you for it. God, may we in this see your body broken and your blood spilled. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me? And then once you have stood with me, would you take of the bread and then also of the cup? Hallelujah. Thank you for your body broken. Thank you for your blood spilled. Thank you for the name of Jesus Christ. And thank you for the hope that we have and expectation of a coming kingdom. In your name, Jesus. Amen. One last verse before we take a moment and just worship the Lord. Colossians chapter 2. Verses 6 and 7, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. And now, just as you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow deep into him, down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. May that be our desire today, amen? amen? To overflow with thankfulness, like a tree, that we might produce the fruit of thankfulness. But today, let's declare that we will build our lives on him. And if you're not feeling very thankful, oh, draw from that well. Draw from it again and again and again. Let's worship the Lord this morning.